Throughout history, free thinkers have outraged the religious with their wacky ideas about the virtues of free speech, reason, and of course, eating babies. Now, God is dying, and it's time to dispose of his remains. From the pits of hell, Satan sends two puppets of the imperialist West and the Zionist Jews against God, Islam, and tiny kittens to bring you their propaganda and conspire for a new world order. This is Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment with Ali Rizwi and Armin Navabi. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Secular Jihadists for a Muslim Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi and with me is, okay, so first of all, this is Armin Navabi. Armin, how are you? How's it going? Good, good. You look very handsome right now. And then there's also the beautiful and brilliant Susanna. Susanna, how Aww. are you? Hi, I'm good. Yeah, she's okay. joining us for this. Uh, and I thought uh, when you said beautiful, I thought when you said beautiful, I thought you, you were going to mention me. <laughs> Oh my gosh, okay. Well, I guess, you know, the, when they say no introduction needed, I guess that just came to life right, right now. Here it is. Right, right. Harris Sultan, the, the man who... Well, you can flex your pecs, right? I mean, that's probably something right. I can say to you. You can do the whole Terry Crews. He's doing it. <laughs> this is why you need to be a patron. Everybody who's... Go to patreon.com slash SJME and you can see Harris flexing his pecs. It's oh, something right. to, you know... Like, we don't just offer commentary here. We offer... Okay, I'm not going to get into it. Welcome, Harris, to the show. And we're... Well, first of all, I got to say one thing. You tweeted this morning, Harris, for those who don't know who he is, I mean, he's actually very uh, prominent and very popular uh, YouTube host. Uh, he has several shows on YouTube. He is uh, a Pakistani uh, atheist activist, one of the few people who is very vocal and speaks about it in Urdu. Um, and we're going to get into all your channels in a bit. But you posted this thing about Ali Dawa, you know, the mm. popular... Um, sort of, I guess, Muslim evangelist, Islamic evangelist in the UK. And he got suspended from Twitter. You told yeah. me about that. What, what, what happened? Yeah, look, you know? yeah look, look, I mean, I don't know what happened because um, I was looking, I was looking up. So those of you who don't know, uh, yesterday, probably around this time, Mufti Abu Lay's house was attacked yeah. uh, after Muhammad Hujabi did takfir on him. And called him like um he, he misrepresented his views about some for people who don't know mufti abu Layth is like a more of a reformist uh, preacher in the uk and ali dawa and uh, muhammad hijab are a, a bit more traditionalist and Orthodox. this this reformist uh, mufti uh, just recently came out and said made some comments about the israel and palestinian situation one of the commentary that he made that basically I think that uh, made everybody upset was the suggestion that maybe Palestinians should just leave Israel. Um, and that was that was basically a huge red line for a lot of Muslims. And they basically attacked his house just yesterday, I think, where where his where his two daughters and his wife like are sleeping. Um, and it was like people with masks showed up. But how is this related to these other Dawah guys, these other preachers like Ali Dawah and Muhammad Hijab? How is it related? What, what, did they incite the attack? Well, it's it, it, well, obviously they didn't explicitly say that. And this is why uh, when you and I spoke about me trying to get Ali Dawah barred from entering Australia it was because these guys are clever with the words. They, they just say the right things to provoke people but they just step short of saying go and do it it's 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 got his trademark dog whistling it's a classic case of dog whistling um and and that's exactly what muhammad hijab did yesterday and by the way the video that you're talking about mufti abu Layth had said that's about a year ago when things were not really that volatile at that point like in karma days that's what he he went through possible solutions and then just one solution he said that okay um, at the end of the day your lives are more important so in that case um, if you're being persecuted then maybe do the migration and follow the sunnah and he invoked Albani's fatwa on that as well that if Muslims are being persecuted in infidel lands then they should do the hijra that's what he said as one of the possibilities and they, they they deliberately took that bit out about a year ago 
that video had been out for uh, for nearly 12 months um but muhammad hijab as as uh, as as a vile a creature he is and as dishonest as he is everyone who's ever interacted with him the first thing that comes to the mind is he's 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 a dishonest individual um he deliberately used that clip now selectively used that comment and made a video on Mufti Abu Layth right now in the midst of what's going on in between Israel and Palestine to to provoke these already charged up sentiments of uh, Muslims and Palestinians. So he so this is a, a year old video. Funnily enough, at the same time, Mufti Abu Layth was already uploading his uh, video again, detailing about what his views were regarding uh, Palestine. And he's definitely, by all stretches of imagination, he is a pro-Palestinian guy. He called Israel, um, a, you know, a, a, a cruel, uh, illegal state. And um, he, he doesn't oppose the existence of Israel, but I think he talks about uh, freeing, setting up the Israeli-Palestinian uh, state. Well, West yeah, like a, whatever his opinion is on the issue. It's know. irrelevant, yeah. And it's a, no, it, a no, of... no, it's very interesting, Ali. Actually, I'm glad that you jumped in to say that because after, this is what I hate about Mufti Abu Leh's defense, right? So they attacked his house and they traumatized his children, masked people at night. And he just came out, Mufti Abu Leh just came out with a video. Mm-hmm. And most of this video is about why did you guys attack me? I'm pro-Palestinian. Yeah. I Who am a Muslim. Cr- and I'm a Muslim. I'm, I'm not, not a kafir. I'm a Muslim. <laughs> like, as, like, his, his, like, dude, they attack your children. Who gives a crap what your position is? Like, are you suggesting that if you were pro-Israel, that if you were a kafir, that any of this attack would be justified? Like, do, who gives a like? He's like, guys, I'm like, I have said this about Palestine. Palestinians are this to my heart. I have called Israel this and that, and Israel is like this Zionist imperialist. Like, they are human rights, blah blah blah. I've said this. I've said this. Like, dude, is that who gives a crap what your position is? Are you saying that if you were, if your position was something else, and you like, you're saying that what he's saying is that oh, go somebody else that has the positions that they claimed they, like people he says people are lying about me right so what so if they were honest if these things that they're saying about you were true then that that justifies that attack he's like hey god I'm, they say i'm a kafir he said that like oh so i'm a muslim why are you attacking me what does that mean so they should come attack us then but not you because we're the kafirs his defense yeah. was disgusting <clears throat> yeah i did i mean i, I wouldn't say it's disgusting i understand like i think that um, you're, you want to mitigate things. You're like, okay, this is the... Because there are two things happening here. There's one is they attacked him, and that his views are completely irrelevant when it comes to that. There's another thing where his views are actively being re- misrepresented. And I'm sure he believes all the things that he's saying, right? I mean, he's, he's like, you know, this is completely taken out of context that these people who attacked me, not only did they attack me, but at the same time, they're being completely dishonest That's and misrepresenting what he said, my views. Though. No, no, no. If, if he I, said it this way, then it would make sense. That, yeah, go well, watch the video. He's like, his main... Mufti def- Saab, main- come to me. I will help okay. you. Okay, well, I, I have a different take on this. I think, first of all, no, it's always good to set the record straight. Yeah. Yes, you could say that um, it's got nothing to do with this, even if I had said it. But but he's not, not going to clarify his position or let the other party hijack his, his, uh, his opinions because he's been attacked. So... So despite of that, he first has to get the record straight. And Mufti Abu Layth is, for a moment, is not suggesting that because he's only one of the very few, I think he's the only one who actually came out and said, leave ex-Muslims alone, uh, leave atheists alone. Um, and he copped a lot of slack. I think that was the time when he he started I'm getting. I'm criticizing that. I'm criticizing this. No, 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 no. Yeah, but I'm telling you that that's he still has to re- set the record straight. No, but that's not the framing. That's not the framing of his. Go watch the video. Of the, of the, the way that he talked about it. You're, yeah, I understand what you're saying, Armin. But I want to ask what. So going back to this, and then we want to get to the topic of this uh, thing. You know, and this is kind of related to it, the whole blasphemy and the issues with it. But um, what what did uh, do, what, do you know why Ali Dawa was banned? 
No, so so that that's what I was saying. So I was looking looking into it, and a lot of people on my video were saying that oh, Muhammad Hijab didn't say they go and attack his house. I'm like, yeah, that's a classic textbook case of dog whistling without getting yourself implicated in that. Mm. So then I thought, okay, has Muhammad Hijab deleted his video? Has he condemned this? No, nothing. Nothing came out of him. He's even uploaded another video, not related to this, but like as he's he just attacked and moved on. Then mm. I thought, okay, what's his lapdog doing? Ali Dawa, what is he saying? And what is this Farid guy saying? Farid guy is not saying anything. So I looked up Ali Dawa's account, Twitter account, just to see, you know, if he's done anything, because I don't follow these guys. Um, so I looked it up, it was all gone. So I don't know why it's been taken down. Um, but um, I, I, I don't know if it's related to this or not, but it said a lot of violent, disgusting things mm-hmm. in the past. So, you know, regardless yeah. of your absolutist free speech, Opinion, Armin, um, uh, it's uh, that there has to be a line at some point. And you still, look, we, you still don't got, understand my position. You think I like, do? Un- I do understand your position, but you, you, we'll go into that again. Uh, it's a rabbit no, hole. But no, no, no. Well, you started it. I have to say, like, free speech doesn't mean you don't get back from quickly. No, okay. Ali, no, Ali. Yeah. I know that position. I know that. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I know your position no, on that. No, so you can't just say something and then they're like, "Oh, let's not go down that rabbit hole." Um, getting removed from Twitter it does not violate anyone's free speech, right? Again, yeah. that's censorship. That's censorship could be a good policy or could be a bad policy. Just because it's not violating someone's free speech doesn't mean it's always good. But if somebody is promoting violence, you know, first of all, that could be also illegal. But you could get just if you break uh, community standards, you could get uh, removed from a platform, and that that doesn't go against my promotion of freedom of speech so just want to put that out there okay right yeah. all right sounds good let's yeah so let's move on to this okay well I, I, by the way how question. do you very quickly i mean by the way how do you feel about um your, your old friend bollywood actress kangna run out getting suspended from twitter as well <laughs> oh no i was gonna i was gonna thank you for doing a video on that because that that's what motivated us to do a video on it as well and thank you for right. bringing this okay. yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. Thank you she, she's, she's actually my old friend too and probably susanna's as well because she responds to everything like i never got an interaction with her on twitter nope. i felt very but, hurt but you did have an actual back and forth, Ali, which I'm was incredible. several, no, several, and and it's like to answer, I, to answer Harris. By the way, I you know for people who don't know, she's a person who's responsible for sending all her goons after me and getting my getting me removed from Twitter, and now she's removed from Twitter. And I was like, hey, maybe Hindus are right. Maybe karma is a real thing. Actually, I don't know. <laughs> so. And, and, but 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 I think now 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 she's gonna get herself um, canceled on Instagram as well because she's using that. Um, and apparently, someone said that she made a video on or she mentioned me, but I couldn't find the video. But I think someone could be just making it up. We're gonna make a blasphemous art with her, by the way. Who would not mention you, Harris? You can flex your pecs. No, she wouldn't. She no, but you know, like if she hates me, that's good because I'm in a good company because she hates Rithik Roshan as well. Rithik <laughs> oh, Roshan, yeah, I think he's uh, yeah, he's a, yeah. he's one up on you. I'm really sorry. I'm oh sorry. yeah, no, he, we need to talk about I, Pakistan I wish, by the way. At some point, I think we should talk about Rithik Roshan for the rest of the podcast. But anyway, he's a yeah. famous Bollywood actor. So let's do this. Uh, we're gonna go this. Uh, th- we're gonna do this. The two of us. Harris Sultan and me, Ali Rizvi. We were both. You were born in Lahore, or where were you born? Uh, yeah, I was born in Lahore. But I but born- I, I but but I'm, I'm slightly uh, more Pakistani than you because I was Sunni. Ajaha, TK, Yeah, whatever. Well, I mean, you're you're you may be more Pakistani. You're not more Muslim than me because I'm Shia. But uh, but here's <laughs> right. so tell me which hospital, really quickly. Gangaram, Gangaram Hospital. My youngest brother was born in Gangaram. I was born in Lady Wellington. Guys, anyway, can we get to Pakistan and bless me, please. Well, Gangaram Hospital is in Pakistan. <laughs> Gangaram is a Hindu name for a Muslim hospital. Anyway, the, the so here's what's going on. There's a lot been that's been going on in in Pakistan over the last month or so. So, um, you know, one of the major pieces of news that came out of Pakistan last month is the Pakistani government, you know, Imran Khan's government, has banned the Islamic fundamentalist group Tehreek-e Labbek. Right. Uh, there have also been uh, issues that have been happening with France. You know, Pakistan's like they've been trying to uh, break diplomatic ties. They've been hedging back and forth. And the, weirdly, the band group, the Harike Labek and Imran Khan seem aligned on this, even though, like, I think Imran Khan's official position was that they have different tactics, ta- tactics. We have different tactics because France is doing this sort of reclaiming of their secular values and, and um, 
a lot of uh, this is upsetting a lot of uh, Muslims in Pakistan who think that this is uh, Islamophobic. Anyway, we're going to get into that and we're going to talk to Harris about it. And recently, like this blasphemy issue has become a really big thing because anybody else who gets into um, who takes a stand against blasphemy laws, like France did, Macron did recently, um, just irks Pakistan, and then they start doing all of these crazy things. So the European Parliament also recently uh, is adopting a resolution that's calling uh, for Pakistan's GSP status. Um, and yeah, they've, oh, they've revoked it already. Yeah, they've revoked it. No, they've, um, no they said that we'll, we'll think, about, we need to consider it's a revoking resolution. it. It's the yes. GSP plus, yeah. Right. Which means that Pakistan could lose economic incentives that equate to like around a billion dollars a year. Mm -hmm. And and this is happening because of uh, what they said was an alarming increase uh, in the blasphemy accusations. Pakistan is basically going off the rails with this whole blasphemy accusation thing. So the Harris, I've, I'm going to start with one question for you, and then I'll I'll be quiet um, for some time at least. Is these when Pakistan does this, a lot of this blasphemy, how much of it really is offending religious sensibilities versus using the blasphemy laws as a way to silence political dissent? Because I know that, you know, when they banned YouTube many years ago, when they cracked down on these social media platforms, a lot of times it's an excuse. They, they, they can ban political dissent and they can sort of restrict people coming out and saying things. But if they, if they say that we're we don't want you guys to talk that can cause a problem if they say we're doing this because of blasphemy everyone's like yes that's right you know this is what we should do so what what do you think it is do you think it's just one tier or do you think there's something under the surface well yeah well it's definitely more complex than that because we can see the gradual shift in pakistan pakistani general public's obsession with blasphemy um, we've definitely seen a, a rise in blasphemy charges and accusations in recent years. Um, when Ziaul Haq uh, introduced the sec a third clause, clause of death penalty for um, uh, for blasphemers of Muhammad, only Muhammad, uh, that then um, the the cases went up in the preceding years. Uh, I believe in the first when British. Um, uh, created this law back in the 29 or 36, 19, 1930s, I think it was. Um, so from 1926 or 36 to 1986, uh, there were only 60 or so cases. But then from 1986 up until 2019, there are close to 1,500 uh, registered cases for blasphemy. And uh, there's been a sharp decline, uh, in, incline um in the in the last decade or so, ever since Asia Bibi's case, um, so it, people people's tolerance has obviously gone down. Um, anything that they perceive um, as blasphemous, they just go for it, and they just turn the whole city upside down, and they demand and they and they bully the local authorities to take strict actions. Um, uh, how much of it is? actually legitimate blasphemy it's hard to say because obviously we have to wait for the outcome from the courts but to me i think it just shows the overall um the the overall mentality of the of the of of the pakistani public that um anything that you say we don't like for example i mean just a couple of weeks ago probably about a month ago just before this whole tlp thing started a christian nurse was told to go and uh clean up the a, a cupboard um, and her being a, a locker, nurse a locker room yeah and and she 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 cleared it out and apparently it had a sticker with the darud written on it and it's hard to say whether she did that out of um, contempt or she probably innocently just took it down. Um, and then she was accused of blasphemy. This guy came in uh, and um, stabbed her. He literally stabbed her and uh, became a hero, made, delivered a speech that how can you tolerate this? They turned the whole hospital upside down. The police came and the mob was already charged up by then and they, then the girl the the woman the nurse christian nurse who was stabbed she was arrested and probably still is in prison and then just a couple of days ago uh, sorry last week um 
uh, in Lahore. There's a mental hospital in, uh, in I believe it's in, oh, it's on Jail Road. You would probably be familiar with that, uh, Ali. Um, and it had oh, most of most of these hospitals. You'd probably know more than me. The most of these hospitals were either built by Hindus or by Christians. Uh, by the British before uh, the creation of Pakistan, and and some of them have actually retained their name. So that's why a lot of Christian nurses, um, a lot of these hospitals uh, have Christian nurses, um, and that is the that is probably only one of the few respectable jobs that they've got. Um, otherwise, they're just um, for you know cleaning sewers and just uh, you know cleaning roads and that kind of jobs are given to them because apparently those jobs can't be done by uh, by Muslims. Um, so what these nurses were saying that they are deliberately being targeted um, because Muslim nurses want to get them sacked and they want to take the position. Now I didn't take that claim seriously because you know anything can happen. But then this incident happened and the first demand they made. Um, after accusing a woman of blasphemy, uh, the first demand they made was like, sack all the Christian nurses from the hospital. And um, I mean, you're like, even if, let's just say, even if one woman, one Christian nurse committed blasphemy, why would you want to remove all of them? And then they buys into the church that was made in, that, that was inside the hospital. Uh, and they went in and they started singing hymns, sucking up Muhammad. Um, well, funnily enough, at the same time, um, while Imran Khan says the West is so Islamophobic and there's rising Islamophobia, at the very same time, the news came out of Germany that uh, some German churches had opened their had opened their churches so Muslims could come in uh, doing uh, to to do the taravis of the, the the extra prayers that that they do after breaking the fast during the month of Ramadan, um, and, and they had offered that because mosques could not hold. Uh, all the people because of the pandemic, so it's it just a coincidence. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's got to do with people's perception. Um, if you uh, and Pakistan is digging a bigger hole for themselves, they just recently passed a legislation that you have to add Khatamul Nabin every time you mention Prophet Muhammad. Otherwise, that's a criminal offense. So well, that's an anti that's an anti Ahmadi measure, right? Khatamul Nabin means that he is the last. Yes, that that that's what it means. But what it does, what it does, it 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 just create, it just adds fuel to the fire. It just makes already obsessed people more obsessive. So forget about Ahmadis. If a normal Muslim doesn't say it, yeah. then he could be accused of blasphemy. He could be accused of being an Ahmadi. Who knows what would happen? These charged up crowds, they're not going to you know check their ID card. They're just gonna start um, do the thing. So start doing the thing. So that's um, uh, Pakistani government doesn't know. And and once these legislations are made, no one would have the courage to even amend them to the slightest. They would never be able to water them down. So Pakistan is being absolutely stupid. They think they're being smart by saying that oh you know we just respect our prophet, so leave us alone. Um, well, they don't. They're just digging a bigger um, a hole and sinking themselves further and further into it. Mm. Yeah. I, I, do you, Do you think that there's any insight? Do you think that they realize the concept? Because you know, when you're, oh, what do you do? Woman, these two nurses. It was like I don't know if it was one nurse or two. I read two. Them, two. There were two. Yeah. Yeah. So these two nurses, they go and they remove these stickers with Islamic verses on it. Maybe they didn't know how to read it. I, you, you never know. I mean, there were student nurses. Yeah, they, so they go and they do this and they're like, okay, well, get all of the nurses out, get banned all Christian nurses. And then you have a mob saying, you know, when they say no, then you, know, you have a mob coming in. And do, is there any hope? Like, does it, when you have that kind of situation, these are all grown adult human beings. And now they've added this. And you're right. This is a really important point that once they have made this rule, you can't go back on it. Like nobody is going to go and try to challenge saying that, no, we need to remove the rule that you have to say Khatam al right, at the end of Muhammad. Because that itself will be blasphemous. Removing that will be seen as blasphemy. Yeah. What, so yeah. what? how are you, because we talked about whether you were optimistic or pessimistic about the future of Pakistan. What do you do with a situation like that if there's no insight? Well, that that part, uh, the blasphemy part, is it seems like a um, the outlook is very pessimistic because, uh, as I said, they they keep bringing in and Imran Khan. Some people now say is turning out to be the second Ziaul Haq. He's made Quranic studies compulsory. Um, 
made in Islamabad, made Arabic compulsory. Um, he, he's doing all these things that were, that he he believes uh, show Islam in a good light. But he, he's totally wrong with his interpretation of Islam. Well, let, let me say one more thing. The, there is a, a constant level of hypocrisy here. So, you know, you make Arabic compulsory and you make all this reverence for Muhammad compulsory, and then you're complaining about colonialism, right? Of like Western colonialism. Yeah. Second thing is you're talking about how Israel is an apartheid state and everything. And you yourself have Ahmadiyya. Muslims were that that is there's Ahmadi apartheid happening in Pakistan as you speak. You talk about how Islam and Germany and all these countries are Islamophobic, and you're going out and putting blasphemy accusations on on Christian nurses in your own country. I mean, there's this, and that's what I mean about the insight. I think the biggest issue there is if you don't have insight into what you're doing, it's impossible to treat you like if you have a delusion, right? Okay, go, Susanna. What do you want to say? There has to be some self-awareness that something is wrong. I mean, we kind of skipped over how the TLP came to be banned and labeled as a uh, radical organization. I'm using that word instead of the T word for YouTube. Like, because a lot of the foundation of how the TLP came about was in inherently centered around the issue of blasphemy to begin with. Like, so much of their cause, it comes, um, I mean, I can't, I don't even want to go fully into how it was started, but that was kind of like the f defining central issue that became a rallying cry. And so it's interesting to see, on one hand, an insight of the TLP being banned for being as radical as they are. And I mean, when you're taking, like, almost a dozen police officers, you're a political party a registered political party with representatives in government taking police officers hostage, you know, again, coming back to the issue of blasphemy, specifically regarding whether or not the envoy or ambassador from France should be ousted from the nation, you know, so you ban this party because they're taking civil servants hostage. Okay, that's like not even half of what went on. But then at the same time, not fully committing to a more liberal, for lack of a better word, or just like moderate, like stance on France, like not necessarily completely um, welcoming like that ambassador here either, like kind of giving some credence to their belief, like maybe we should do something about this ambassador from France. So there is a certain level of insight because these people are causing danger. I mean, obviously to civilians for a long time, but now it's civil servants on a different level. It's, I think it's a cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Harris. Yeah. Look, yeah. So uh, no, I, I think they, they do understand that um th that you know this is getting out of hand I've, I've, uh, I've, I've spoken to some people higher up in Imran Khan's government and obviously they have uh, varying varying um, views on that as well but what they're concerned about is that Imran Khan is so he's got such a tunnel vision that what he believes unless something gets in his head um, that is very convincing. He he doesn't budge from his position, and that has been his one of his strengths, and that's also been one of his weaknesses as well. So he has just come to this belief that Islam is a uh, very peaceful religion. He a perfect religion, which is fine. He's not the only one when it comes to that. But he also believes that we can be reasonable. We can peacefully ask people, "Hey, don't don't." Um, you know, don't um, don't insult our prophet, and the world will say, "Okay, Mr. Khan, we wouldn't do it." That's what he believes, and what he doesn't understand that when he sends out, no matter how peaceful and how um, you know how much calmer he is in his tone or in or, or in his um, in his approach, the rest of the world is not saying. I mean, these clerics know what the real Islam is. For example, the the, the guy TLP, the founder of that or party, um, uh, Khadim Hussain Rizvi, who died last year, 
he he he's said it numerous times islam is not a peaceful religion islam has to spread by by violence so he obviously i imran khan doesn't agree with that and doesn't buy that version of islam and that and then he gets like whoa why are these people out on the streets why are they blackmailing the government to you know kick out the french ambassador we can't do that and we won't do that we have yes we also don't want you 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 touch point on that um that he that that our goal is same but our tactics are different yeah his goal he said yeah we also don't want them to insult our prophet but we can only say that not not more than that but what he doesn't understand when he sends out these messages that you know uh, sucking up to muhammad and all that or even addressing these points um, addressing these points will draw it draws uh, that draws attention to the cause and then people some people say that he might be doing that on purpose but anyway so i, I, I want to wrap it up with the with, with the point that uh, people inside his government they, they understand there are problems uh, the human rights minister shiri mizari although she's a bit of a hopeless case because uh, she doesn't respond to i don't know i've sent so many emails with um, regarding pakistani minorities um when this WPJ or WSP, whatever that trade uh, beneficial uh, advantageous uh, standard is for that was given to Pakistan by by the European Union, whenever when that was brought up by the European Union Parliament and, and this passed the resolution that maybe we need to review that trade status, um, she responded in the typical typical. Uh, f- fashion I, I i have that tweet if you if you want to um, share that it's, it's up to you if you if you don't want to um you can read it out she yeah well so she she basically said that it is unfortunate that the co-sponsor of the eu's anti-pakistan resolution was a member of a party that the swedish pm stefan loflin referred to as a neo-fascist single issue party with nazi and racist roots question now is whether gsp plus is getting muddied in islamophobia so she again invoked the classic card of islamophobia regarding um you know hey look and 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 there was there was only one case discussed the case was that of um of a um of a christian couple shugufta kosar and shafkat emmanuel who were allegedly sharing uh, they were texting each other and apparently they said some blasphemous things so even in a private conversation they weren't broadcasting it to the world they were just having private conversation um allegedly and where you know they um, and they were caught so they were sentenced to death uh, to death back in 2014 some people have said the guy has been um uh, sexually abused and there, there's some uh, uh, i haven't been able to verify that but there's a there's a fundraiser going for it for for his rehabilitation etc so they only discussed that one particular case i discuss at least two or three cases like that every week and i send them to the office of uh, Pakistan's human rights and you know so not surprisingly I never hear back from them yeah. um so she invoked she tried to hide behind um uh, islamophobia but the interesting part is the next tweet said we have issues to resolve but there has been more movement now on our human rights international convention commitments than in previous governments the way forward is dialogue and negotiations which we have been doing not extreme public positioning so she acknowledged that yes and and i know that they do realize that there there, there is a, um, a rising extremism and but but what they don't understand is they are being part of that they are contributing to it they 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 want people to say okay let's just sit down and say don't hurt our prophet or don't insult our prophet and the and and the highly educated pakistani population would say okay that's it no they they're contributing to it and they charge up their emotions and as a result you see those millions of people on the roads okay armen you had you were going to say something yeah i'm going to um i'm going to see if i could um look at this from a different perspective and see if what you guys think again I'm not the Pakistani here, so my take on this could be completely wrong. But I just want to bounce this off of you guys and tell me what do you think. I want to have a more <clears throat> charitable perspective uh, for what Imran Khan is doing and see if I could steal man what he's trying to do here. Okay, um, you know, from you know, 
we have like billions of dollars on the line that he's potentially risking losing, right? Um, and because of you know because of his because of the bad human rights records, because of having blasphemy laws, um, and yet they're still insisting that this is we're going to do this, right? And I know a lot of people from outside of like Pakistan, Iran, Saudi Arabia want to think like, oh, these religious leaders, like these leaders probably really, 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 really care about Islam so much that they're willing to sacrifice billions of dollars. It, it's probably not true. Uh, usually uh, there is some strategic and rational explanation behind, you know, politically there's a, there's, if you let, start digging deep, I'm not saying Islam doesn't have an influence. Of course it does, but it's not that simple, Right. Why would somebody, why would any government, I mean, you could look at Iran, like you have the, an Islamic theocracy, um, and yet they they are dealing with China, uh, which is like an atheist government that is abusing Muslims. They're like, okay, for the sake of money, we're just going to ignore all of that, right? So Pakistan also do, does the same thing with China. So it's not like, it's not like, like oh yeah, we love Islam so much that we're going to sacrifice billions of dollars. Uh, to me, I think it's more about, it seems like, I, I could be wrong, uh, Imran Khan is looking at an existential crisis about his regime with regards, like, the fact that we have the TLP uh, in Pakistan um, and these people have, not the majority of Pakistan, but a, a, big, pop, a big enough support that are active. Like, even though they're not the majority, they're extremely active relative to the rest of Pakistan. They're willing to commit violence. They're willing to come into the street. So they have a huge force. Like you have the, the two great forces in Pakistan is basically these Islamists. And the other one is the military. But the, it is hard to compete with these people because nobody else can mobilize violent mobs in the streets like they can, right? Even if they don't represent the majority. So... um. You know, when so it, it does seem to me like, you know what, we, yeah, are we going to sacrifice billions of dollars so that these people don't raid our offices and chop our heads off? Yes, of course, we're going to like, yeah, we, we like billions of dollars, but we like to also stay alive and we also like to stay in power, right? Uh, so we're going to say, no, apostasy will remain illegal. Thank you very much. You could keep your billions of dollars. Um, and I also think like when you see like Imran Khan asking like, hey, the world, can you make a, can you please respect our prophet? I don't think he's an idiot. Uh, I don't think he's like, oh, yeah, I think like I'm going to make a formal request to the world and they, they might actually consider this. I don't think that is his intention. I think his intention is to signal to these idiots that the TLP like organizations like TLP is trying to uh, recruit to be like, hey, look, I'm doing the thing. I am doing the thing. Please, like, you know, I oh, here's a here's a, it's a virtue signal to a base to for him to not give like because if he doesn't do anything, if he doesn't signal that, at some point they're gonna be like, look, they're not. Hey, they're putting everyone on death row, but it's a joke. Nobody's being executed. It, they're fooling you. They like. Look, oh my god, like imagine if Imran Khan comes and says, like, you know what, Ahmadis are cool. Uh nobody, nobody should like no more apostasy. Like, yeah, we that's not a crime anymore in Pakistan. That's like he could be like, Yeah, that's great for human rights and all, but it's not good for my neck, right? Like it's not good for my government. Like, I don't I don't know if I should do that, right? So I'm just trying to see, like, maybe he's just trying to keep everything standing, and that's the calculation that he's that he has. What do you think, Harris? Right. Look, it's, it's definitely those two things are not mutually exclusive because he did when he was trying to calm people down, he was making the media play his that infamous speech in 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 the UN when he you know gave the lecture to the world about how Islamophobia is rising and you know you should you should respect um, and and he tried to sell that to Pakistan when he was entire you know when all this thing was happening. But um, but I think, no, he genuinely believes that too. He genuinely believes that he can convince the Western world. He's never, he usually doesn't speak against Western world like that. Even in Urdu, when he talks, when he gives his speeches, he says, 
I understand the Western world. I spent my youth there. You know, he, he says all of that. And he, he genuinely believes that, that once you tell them, once you explain to them that, you know, um, uh, that it hurts our feelings, they will listen to you. They're the most liberal people. And then he gives the example and he says that, um, you know, when United States invaded Iraq, 10 million people came to the streets. He, so he believes, he doesn't view the West in a negative light, but he just thinks that West doesn't understand. And I'm the guy. I'm going to tell them. So he, he has this narcissism about him. And um, uh, so but, but that's where he wasn't. Well, yeah, he, in, in this part he is, but, uh, but he's not a total idiot. So as you said, he, he, it also gives him this uh, satisfaction that, okay, I've done my bit what's reasonable. But this is what I'm saying. He himself is actually a pacifist. He is not a warmongering kind of person. He's not a violent person like that. He's always spoken against violence. But um, uh, but that's when he gets surprised. He's like, oh, well, why aren't people chopping each other's heads off? <laughs> you know. So, so, so yeah, you're right. But he's an ideal. He takes pride in being an ideological person rather than, you know, a he he says that I'm not a realist. I'm an ideal. I'm, I'm yeah, an idealist. His yeah. his idealism, though. I mean, this, this is a problem. There's one thing, and there may be many things that that's almost Trumpian about him, where uh, he has many positions on every side of every issue, or he at least seems to have. And a lot of that has to do with like just appeasing certain elements of the people who vote for him. But I I just wanted so move moving to the next phase of this because what is the status? of the opposition to this. So, you know, like, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. We've got like Tariq Labek, we've got the Khadim Rizvi, like, you know, all these guys, they had a lot of support, they had a lot of support, but when it comes to elections, when it comes to people voting, it seems like there is a silent majority that's kind of getting tired of this stuff. Even you mentioned Shireen Mazari. Shireen Mazari isn't exactly the kind of people that um, it's fundamentalist Islamic people are going to support as a, you know, as a wonderful example of, you know, Muslim woman. So there is, and, and that goes for a lot of people in the government. What is the status of opposition to this blasphemy stuff inside Pakistan? And also, what are the things that people can do outside? Like, you know, the GSP plus status, that's one thing. Um, sanctions are always an option, but just in terms of uh, international pressure, like uh, Pakistan is dependent on foreign aid for its economy. Yeah, like it's we'll not see. like they have a great tax system where they can collect taxes, or they're contributing yeah. a lot, no, or have screwed. amazing exports. They're, they're, so. they're, they're basically screwed. No, they're so. basically screwed. If the if the international uh, community tries to, you know, uh, put Pakistan on the leash or just tighten the noose around the neck, then then they will choke. Uh, see, that's the interesting thing. The other two political parties, the other two major political parties, the, the People's Party, the late Benazir Bhutto's party, and Nawaz Sharif's party, surprisingly, both of them stayed quiet in that because they both have uh, been the victims of religious extremism. Obviously, Benazir Bhutto was killed by, allegedly killed by the Taliban. I, there are some conspiracy theories, but I'll go with the official version that she was killed by the Taliban. Uh, Salman Tasir was killed by the same guy who became the um, uh, spiritual hero of this TLP movement. And then in 2017, um, uh, Nawaz Sharif's government was uh, facing similar kind of uh, demonstrations. So they knew, but Imran Khan made a strategic mistake at that point as well. He was like, yeah, well, what they're demanding is fair enough, which obviously now he's like, oh, no, that was stupid. Um, so so the other major two political parties, so these three are the biggest political parties. They, they, they enjoy 75% of the vote bank between all three of them. But the, surprise, but the weird part is, and, and I mean, you said that, although they're not the majority, I'm not actually sure about that, especially in Punjab. Yes, yeah. they're not really that popular in other three provinces. Uh, the other three provinces did not even act around this topic of, you know, the, the, this Fran France and blasphemy. They didn't come out on the streets, barring Karachi, but Karachi is also uh, a bit of a mixed case. But Punjab is a ticking time bomb. This this radical extremism, all that you see, all the all this terrible news that you see, they actually come out of Punjab. All these blasphemy cases, they come out of Punjab. Yes, there's some Hindu oppression in, in the rural parts of Sindh, 
Um, but but that's more so of opportunism rather than religious extremism and lack of law and order. Um, but in Punjab, that's where it's happening. And um, some interesting statistics are that this is the TLP party. Uh, that's a Barelvi party, by the way. And now, according to the last census, the estimates are 70% of Pakistanis are Barelvis. And majority of them are in Punjab. Now, obviously, not all of them would agree. But when this TLP thing happened, every Barelvi religious leader threw their support behind this guy. This guy's only 26 years old now. His father was very charismatic and popular. And this guy has taken the party to the next level. So, and mind you, they actually were the fourth biggest. Um, uh, they, they got the fourth heaviest mandate in the uh, in in the last general elections, which obviously didn't translate because it's parliamentarian um, government, so uh, the, the, their candidates came third, or some places they came second uh, or, or fourth. But by overall popular vote, if you calculated that, they were number four, and that that was only their second election. So don't be surprised if they end up getting 10, 15, 20 seats in the in, in the national assembly and in the Punjab assembly. Then these guys are a bunch of fanatics, and I think the West will will definitely have to do something at that point. I have four questions. Let's do it. All right. Question number one: uh, What's the what if if the, is there any relationship uh, between uh, TLP and Taliban? Question number two: What's the effect of Afghanistan finally taking over in Af uh, the, the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan after? United States leaves, um, the fact that the Taliban is going to come and take over again in Afghanistan, how would that affect Pakistan? Uh, question number three, when you say this is a ticking time bomb, what what does it mean? Like, what does it look like when this time bomb hits zero? And what does that mean for a country, uh, the effect on that in the region for a country with nuclear weapons uh, for, you know, this time bomb? And like, what does that look like and what's the effect? And question number four, um, how is uh, in all of this? What do you see China's role is? Um, if also as, if Pakistan cuts relationship with Western countries, um, how would China? How do you think China is going to come and take advantage of that? Well, so all all very interesting. I hope I remember them in order. The first question was the the relationship between Taliban and TLP. Okay, so Taliban back in 2014 decided to, made a big mistake, decided to attack a Pakistani army school and killed over 100 children. Uh, the whole country united against them. And they just basically, the Pakistani military basically destroyed all the the infrastructure in Pakistan, defeated them within a couple of years. Um, so Taliban were kicked out of Pakistan. But on the other hand, now this TLP always stayed away from the militant wing. They, they kept growing in popularity, but these guys have got no weapons, no training, no nothing. So they were not militant, but they're just extremists. They have, and that's what they've shown. So they know one thing now, that they have the power, they can grab, um, they can hold Islamabad hostage. Islamabad tried to uh, use all the in intimidation tactics on them, it didn't work. More bodies had fallen, more, um, higher the chance of mutiny would have been not not only between the Pakistani police, but also the Pakistani military. That's when the military actually told Imran Khan, hey, this is it, you've got to end this. Um, so uh, the the interesting development was, so, so the reason why I told you this and how it's all linked, because Taliban did not enjoy support of Pakistani public because they had killed nearly 70,000 Pakistanis uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the previous decade. So Pakistanis hated Taliban. These guys, because they're not militant, that's why their support was growing after um, uh, the, the assassination of uh, Salman Taseer. Now, Taliban, in the midst of it, Pakistani Taliban, they said, well, how about both of you, both of us try to fight this evil Pakistani government or establishment together? Now, that was a catch-22 for Pakistan. Imran Khan also was one of the biggest proponents of giving a political... Uh, platform to religious parties as well because historically religious parties in Pakistan have not been very successful um, so he was one of the most vocal supporters of bringing TLP in the political spectrum so 
he believes that if they are in the political spectrum, then they have a dog in the fight. Then they would want to win um, uh, democratically. So, you know, then they would also understand the democratic norms and all of that. That, that was his view. Uh, but because these guys had, didn't have any, uh, any, any seats in the assembly, that's probably why they were a bit more hawkish. But if they actually did have five or ten seats, they probably would be a little bit different in their approach. But now that's the part. Because now Pakistan hastily banned them, which will probably be overturned by the Supreme Court, which Pakistan government would actually want it to be overturned. Because if they don't, if they ban that, where are all these millions of supporters going to go? That would be, that's a ticking time bomb that they can actually, this time Taliban could come back with a huge, um, you know, uproar. Um, Now that's one. But the other part is uh, that, that the... If they, if they go through the political way, then the problem is, what if they do get five, six, seven, eight seats in the National Assembly, uh, or even more in the following elections, then can we afford to have a nuclear armed country like that, that is a that is being governed by a, a you know, just, just a bunch of idiots, uh, religious extremists? Like, I mean, the whole world is worried about Iran getting their hands on nuclear bomb, but Iran... Somehow, I'm not a fan of them, but but they've been they've got some form of uh, of of an experience on how to run the country or how to have diplomatic relationships, uh, either through infidel China or, or Russia. Um, but these guys have no experience at all. Imagine them coming to power. Imagine them having any control over that. Uh, so so that is a very worrying trend. It's just a race against time. If we can, if the if the international community can. Can um, can you know uh, force Pakistan enough to dismantle them quietly? This is one of the biggest um, uh, points of contention. That what's actually going on? Are they actually trying to dismantle these people one by one? And by dismantling, I mean that there's a strong rumor that they, that they, that the father of this movement, uh, Khadim Rizwi, he he died in mysterious circumstances. They thought that that was after he gave the deadline in April. Um, to expel the French ambassador. So, so the rumor has it that he was he died in mysterious circumstances. Who knows? And they were hoping that the son people would forget about it because six seven months after. So that didn't happen. But let's see what happens after that. So, so what was your third question? Oh well, the second one is how um, the Taliban taking over in Afghanistan after the U.S. withdrawal. How is that going to affect the situation? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think that would affect Pakistan as much. It might serve Pakistan a little bit. It might serve in Pakistan's favor because historically they've had good relationship with Taliban, and also Pakistan would want uh, Taliban, uh, you know, breathing down the neck. Pakistan would want them to go away and do something else, uh, but it would still not be entirely. Uh, a favorable position for anyone because Pakistan has burnt a lot of bridges with Taliban as well. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't think it would be that bad for Pakistan, mm-hmm. um, but it would be definitely bad for the for, for Afghanistan. Yes. So the third question was like when you said the ticking time bomb. Like, what's the worst case situation? Like, what like if. Uh, things get really bad um what what does that look like to you well the the only thing that i worry about not the next elections um but the elections after that so in probably eight years time they could have a they could if they if the trajectory trajectory keeps going up there could be a significant political force um and and obviously like any big country pakistan's military as well has a a lot of these barelvis who through their support with the TLP, there was a very small-scale mutinies, but um, that's what army was afraid of that there might be a mutiny. Um, so that's my biggest worry that that if they if they come, um, if they get significant number of political um, seats in the national or provincial assembly, that could be a bit of a problem for uh, for the whole region, for the whole world. I'd say if the army doesn't like that. Um... Like I think the only thing the army in the in Pakistan is intimidated by is these people. But do you think like if the army is not happy with like the TLP, can they do anything about it, or would they? Well, just... They would. They would never be able to do anything covertly. They mm-hmm. they wouldn't be. They they'll have to do it um, secretively. They would have to. Um, uh, They'll have to do it covertly, basically. They, um, yeah, they, they they can't do it openly. Um, this will be 
bad news for them. They, they, there's no way they can intimidate them publicly. So that's the only thing that I can think of. But again, it's just... Uh, and Pakistan military has actually got very good experience in doing that. They have violently suppressed the freedom movement in Balochistan. Um, uh, they have violently suppressed... Um, not separatist movement in KPK, the northern province, but, you know, they had um, um, a, a, um, a movement started that basically started that they wanted equal rights. Um, so the Pakistani military uh, has been arresting their people and, you know, they've been doing a lot of things quietly. They're good at it. So if they decide to take care of this problem now, it is they can do it. But um, but Pakistan military is dodgy as well because they've they've usually used these guys as assets, and then when they become Frankenstein, they're like, oh, hang on, what what have we done? So um, yeah, that that remains to be seen. Right now they can, but if they wait another couple of years, it could get out out of their hands. It's, isn't it amazing how that story keeps repeating itself ev everywhere, where like military people try to use religious or far right groups in their advantage, and then eventually it, it's something that they now have to take care of cleaning it up. Like yeah. it just happens everywhere all the time. Um, sure. And the last question is like, um, if the Pakistan and EU and you know, you know, and Western countries' relationship keeps getting worse and worse, do you see China uh, stepping in and taking advantage of that, like more? What well, Pakistan has already put all the eggs in Chinese basket. Uh, already? They, they, they have already said that their future lies with China uh, and they need to rely less and less on, in, on, 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 um, on Europe and, and the West. But uh, again, another bad strategy from these people. <laughs> they just, um, China is not... See, China, China there, there, there were unconfirmed reports that China had actually sent um, uh, their military convoy to protect their assets in what they're building this um, Belt and Road Initiative, where they're building this road um, from down to the southern po port of uh, Gawada in in the troubled province of uh, Balochistan, all the way up to um, uh, to the Himalayas and then beyond to China. So they were getting these attacks from uh, Balochistan Liberation pa um, uh, Party, BL BLA, Army, Balochistan Liberation Army. Um, so they, they were like, hey, you, you guys can't handle it. We're, we're going to go there. And Pakistan's not going to challenge them. And we already know if, um, you know, what, what happened in Hambantota. If they, if they have to, and obviously they're putting in a lot of money. And if they have to protect their interests now... They they will they will come with uh, you know they will come with the guns. So so uh, the withdrawal of United States um, and European countries from Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iran is making China turn these countries into its playground. It seems like in the next twenty years, it's going to be a lot of the politics around this region is going to be involved with understanding how China's interests. Eventually, right. it will. Eventually, it will be. But um, just recently, I think a couple of days ago, it was confirmed by uh, by Pakistan government that U.S. had been pressuring them to give them uh, air bases so they could keep an eye on you know, on Afghanistan. But Pakistan also had immense pressure from China not to do it. Um, so Pakistan obviously had to go with China. There you go. Um, and they said, no, we can't give you that. And also, it was a better decision because. Pakistanis right now are sick of America. They're not. They don't know what's waiting. What's waiting for them in China? Hmm. Um, but the United States would probably switch over to Central Asian countries and probably, you know, have uh, their drone operations carried on, uh, yeah. carrying on from there. So, um, hmm. so, so I, 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 I'm not. An, I'm not the expert on this. But, um, but with Afghanistan, they say well, it might not be totally easy for. Uh, hmm. For Taliban to capture uh, Kabul, but they've they've already got what forty percent of Afghanistan under their control, or something like that. Yeah, the le 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 less populated parts. So. Yeah, there there was always an issue, and we're coming up to time, and I think we have like one patron comment that we're going to address as well. There's always been like with the foreign aid that we were talking about, the U.S. aid that they got. The U.S. always had this policy; they've always had a trust issue with Pakistan because you know they play both sides of the coin. That reached a a climax at the time when they found bin Laden in Abbottabad and like the, the equivalent of West Point in Pakistan where you know just hiding right among the army and the and the governmental elite so um, the the aid was always given to them not so they would be 
uh, you know, because if they gave the aid, then they would be 50% on America's side. If they didn't give the aid, they'd go 100% to China's side. So th that was really the calculation. It wasn't really that, okay, we're going to give them aid because they're our ally and they're loyal to us. Like, they're not. They always knew that it was a two-faced type of relationship. But it was basically to deter them from going to, to, towards China. It seems like that that effort has like exhausted itself at this point, where they. No, but you got to understand in that. No, but you got to understand Pakistan. Uh, Taliban were pro Pakistan. They were the Pakistan liked them. It was against their interest. Now all of a sudden, for the last yeah. ten years, Pakistan had been supporting them. And the United States says, "Well, hang on, you got to help us kick them out." So there were a lot of uh, people strategic, within the yeah. military. Yeah, they, they they had their strategic interests, and there sure. were a lot of people in Pakistan, uh, in, in the Pakistani military, who didn't want that. So that's why the, that double game was. Or the two-phased strategy was always inevitable. It was, but it was two-phased, though. I mean, that, that's yeah, the, oh, yeah. It was always. It's very hard to tell. So yeah, we're we're kind of we're out of time. There's a lot of interesting stuff I wanted to get to um, here, but I, I like this is a huge topic, so we'll probably continue it another time. Uh, Ahmed Qureshi is saying Imran Khan is trying to keep support while his weak government, as well as the military, is being challenged by a Pakistan democratic movement, which includes the religious parties. You want to speak to that or? Yeah, look, the Democratic Front, I don't know. I mean, um, the Democratic Front is probably not as challenging. I mean, the, the, these things have been going on in pretty much every democratically elected Pakistani government. When when, when the other parties were in power, let's say Nawaz Sharif's party was in power in the last term, Imran Khan was, it seemed like Imran Khan's going to overthrow, topple the government any day, but that didn't happen. So that's not going to happen in Imran Khan's case either, because military still seems to be, in his case, the only problem, as I said, the only time when I, for a moment, I thought, uh-oh, this could be really bad. And I was really, really following it minute by minute, that how they had said that they're going to go to, uh, they're, they're going to march towards Islamabad. And then, um, you know, Sheikh Rashid just went in there and touched their hands and said, look, we'll, we'll do whatever you want. So that those are the only things that could actually overthrow, topple Imran Khan's government. The, these things that are going on between um, the political parties, the, op the, the traditional opposition, that's, I, I don't see that as, a, as any significant challenge. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, yeah, I guess we're going to, we're going to leave it there for now. Um, thank you very fantastic. much. For, yeah. Harris, that was really good. Thank you so much for all this yeah. information. Thank you for having me. Yeah. This yeah. is, I kind of looked at it different because I haven't been, I, I guess I haven't been following it and I haven't been catching up, but this is a really, there's a lot that has changed. And I think there's right. a lot that'll change uh, from here onwards too. Um, Guys, if, if you by the way, uh, for podcast listeners that are going to listen to this later, make sure if you are interested in um, Pakistan geopolitics and the role of religion and everything else around that area, make sure you check out Harris Sultan's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, just search for Harris Sultan on YouTube. It's the information there is just you don't get like this much information about Pakistan and the role of secularism, religion, and all the different things that are happening. There's no other channel that covers this uh, better than Harris. So check it out, Mike. That's right. I'm also going to plug uh, Harris's uh, Pakistani Mulhid channel for everybody who's listening who knows Urdu or knows Hindi. Uh, or, uh, you know, it's an Urdu channel where he talks about atheism, secularism. Very, very unique. Um, there aren't a lot of those people out there. Um, and Harris is able to speak about it very openly uh, and very sort of unapologetically. It's It's fantastic. So please do check that out as well. Um, and if you are, if you like what you hear here, you know, go to patreon.com slash SJME. You can be a patron for uh, as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you can watch all of these live streams as they happen. You can participate. You can ask your questions in advance. You can ask your questions live during the stream. I mean, the whole thing. And you can see Harris Sultan flex his pecs. Oh, right yeah, in front of you. You're not going to be able to hear that on your iTunes. Uh, yeah. Should, no, I stop? No, Should I stop with the pecs thing? I, I was just gonna say that um, you, you you can um, you can be my patron too if you want. <laughs> yes. yes, you can be a patron yes. of both of us. Yes. So uh, Harris, yep. uh, being uh, a patron you... is no, yeah. Just want to say like it's important because it's really risky. These topics that we're talking about, uh, we could get demonetized at any time. So it's it, it, the more patrons like Harris Sultan and people like us have, the more free we feel to be able to talk about things. Mm. Um, that we want to talk about and we're worried about monetization, if we have enough patron support, then we 
that becomes less of a risk for us and we will be more free to just say mm -hmm. the things we need to say so i've well, got also I got... creators are disincentivized by being unfair crackdowns from platforms like horace right. got banned from facebook right yeah i'm permanently removed Twitter. facebook one of my Urdu channels uh, per permanently demonetized over simply quoting the quran that it allows wife beating yeah these these things um can happen so yeah your support through patreon or um paypal mm -hmm. or whatever that 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 is very very helpful uh, and at least it takes our mind off at least that thing so we can just keep giving you without mincing our words we can keep giving you uh, honest analysis yeah mm -hmm. i just got a message from somebody on uh for armin uh armin they're asking they're like i want to be a pat patron of both Secular Jihadist and Harris's channel, but I can only choose one. Armin, will you suggest which one I should choose? Which one? Choose Harris. Choose Harris. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I made that up. Anyway, guys. I was going to say Atheist Republic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening in. And then, you know, we're going to continue this, Harris. I mean, you've been here every, every time you come on. It's like fantastic. So we'll have yeah. the after party. At the yeah. after party, that's good. Ahmed, Ahmed, and let's just saying thanks, guys. Guys, great episode. Thank you, Ahmed. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Thank you, everyone, and talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us. Share the podcast with your friends. Write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions. Or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video. Have your questions read and answered on the air and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.